No, it's going to be another one of those episodes where we jump right in because I don't actually have an intro because I don't know how to write intros. <laughs> My whole idea for the intro was to sing Old MacDonald. Wow, I am so glad we didn't go with that. Yeah, I mean, we did sing a song for the last one, so it would have been on brand. <laughs> where is the story coming from? The story is coming from Canada. Okay, Jerry. Jerry, okay. <laughs> So it is actually a very odd coincidence that we're doing this episode right now because uh, I had a list of ghost stories that I was looking at that were going to be part of upcoming episodes. Mm-hmm. And this one kind of jumped to the top of the list just because it's a little weird. And it takes place in Canada. And recently on Facebook, we had uh, Nicole in the Facebook group asked if we would do any stories from Canada. And we were like, yeah. And I think she wanted us to do the Ogopogo. Mm-hmm. Soon. Soon. So, we're not doing the Ogopogo. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nicole, for your suggestion. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah, thank you for thank you for actually uh, interacting with us on social media. We're taking your <laughs> recommendations with a grain of salt. <laughs> well, doing the same country, so. No, and uh, her idea was, as we're doing an American Tales kind of series, mm-hmm. if we could do like a Canada one. And I love that idea. And there's lots of cool folklore and spooky stories and stuff from Canada. Uh, including today's case that we're going to look at. So we are going to do that, Nicole. Don't worry. Uh, It's just uh, not yet. (laughs) (laughs) It is really hot today. It is. I mean, I'm glad that we do this at night where it's a little bit cooler, but it's still like I'm sweating. We have the air conditioning on, but it's not doing any good. Yeah, I wish it was a balmy 69 degrees like it is in London, but (laughs) (laughs) it's 101 when I left work today. Yeah. And humid, so it's 101, but the real feel is like 185 degrees, (laughs) because the sun is literally on the south side of town, just hanging out, waiting for us. You know, there's this old adage that when people talk about the weather, Mm -hmm. it means they actually have something else they want to talk about, (laughs) and they're just trying to edge to it. All right, what are we trying to talk about today? So we're trying to talk about the Caledonian Mills Fire Spook. Have you ever heard of this? No. That's a very strange name, isn't it? Yeah. It's also been called the Mary Ellen Spook Case. Uh, named after one of the people who was involved in the case. So, have you ever heard of this story before? No, but all I can think of is, is that song by Kate Nash called Mariella, but I don't think it's the same thing. What What's that song about? Um, a girl who didn't fit in with the crowd and she glued her lips together. Okay, yeah, this is gonna be... <laughs> this story takes a slightly different direction than that song. Oh, okay. So, this case actually deals with um, a farm in Canada, in Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. that was owned by... Uh, the McDonald family. Perfect. <laughs> Which is why I was gonna... The only idea I had for the intro was something about old McDonald's farm. But, <laughs> uh, it was Alexander McDonald, his wife Janet, and their daughter, Mary Ellen. Over the course of a year, they were sort of terrorized by a poltergeist. This case was heavily, heavily investigated by lots of paranormal investigators, big and small. One of the things about this case that I find very strange, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it, was not just that there is fire involved. (laughs) It's a haunting where one of the paranormal manifestations is fire. Wicked. Yes. Wait, 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 wait. There's not going to be like a bunch of dead kids in this one, is there? No. (laughs) I'm still not over the theater one. No. Yeah, oh wow, that is the second one I've done about fire. Oh, man. Oh, no. Nobody dies in this one. Okay. So we're we're safe. Next episode of Harley Paranormal, there'll be no Lacey because Jerry burned her. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing that makes this case pretty interesting is that it involves uh, somebody in the family, the daughter. It involves Mary Ellen sort of being like a medium Mm -hmm. for this poltergeist. 
but it kind of blurs the line between what is mediumship and what is possession. Yeah. And it got me thinking about what is really the difference between those two things? Why are you laughing? <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Let's just hear it. You know, I'm really out of shape. If a demon was chasing me, I wouldn't even be able to keep up. You could say I really need to start exercising. <laughs> I refuse to laugh at that. I'll laugh enough for the both of us. I've been holding on to that for like two hours. Oh my god. <laughs> again, again, we're in a situation where I ask you to help me with the intro. And all you do is look up jokes. I don't know why I keep asking you for help. <laughs> I knew it was like 15 minutes ago. I sat down and I was like, okay, so we're going to start recording. And I was like, I really got this intro going and you didn't say anything. And I was like, there's no intro. <laughs> She's going to have a stupid joke. <laughs> That's excellent. Proceed. So what do you think the difference is between mediumship and possession? Um, I feel like being a medium is you're asking for the ghost to come and communicate through you. Mm -hmm. And possession is more like you're forced yeah, I think it's a pretty popular, you know, definition of those two things. Yeah. And there's actually a lot of different kinds of mediumship besides the physical mediumship, which is where a ghost would inhabit and use your body. Mm -hmm. There's also what they call mental mediumship, which is uh, basically the, the spirit speaking through you. What? Oh my god, <laughs> not again. <laughs> what happens when a cat gets possessed by a demon? What? <laughs> it needs to be purified. He needs it to be what? Purified. <laughs> so these are just going to get worse. Like, as the... So the two, anyway, getting away from that very lame cat joke. <laughs> Mediumship, as you were saying, is popularly understood to be that you invite a ghost or a spirit into your body to use it in some way to communicate. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's to deliver prophecies or to communicate with living loved ones what have you. And demon possession is that the demon is forcing itself upon you. Yeah. I think also the end uh, goal is different. Mm -hmm. With mediumship, I think the end goal is for communication. Mm -hmm. And where with demon possession, the end goal is corruption or domination by the demonic entity. But there are some cultures where demon possession happens as a result of inadvertently inviting a demon to possess you. Yeah. So this story sort of blurs those lines a little bit of what is mediumship and what is demonic possession. Do we need to talk to Robin Thicke for this? or <laughs> I'm not feeding into this. I'm not going to laugh at your jokes because <laughs> it's just going to make me think that they're okay. I'm not enabling this. <laughs> what? what does a demon use to make business calls? What? <laughs> a hell phone? <laughs> Uh, no, Super Junior, who follows us, thinks I am hilarious. Yeah, I know. The kids do, too. They don't <laughs> vote. <laughs> They're not even in school right now. Let's go ahead and get into what actually happened. Yeah. So in January of 1922, in Nova Scotia, <laughs> the... Oh, that's going to piss off somebody. <laughs> that's going to really bother someone, yeah. The McDonald family moved out of their farm. Uh, they had lived there for several years, but the prior year had been sort of plagued with... Songs. Songs? What? Old MacDonald. Old MacDonald, right. Yes. There were people coming by making stupid jokes at their expense. <laughs> Can't imagine what living a whole year like that would be like. <laughs> Try 11. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, they had been basically terrorized by a poltergeist, mm-hmm. and they'd had enough, and they were they left. Which is really different for most of our other stories. Mm-hmm. So, most of the time, they they stick it out. Go for, McDonald's. Yeah, for just being like we're out. Yeah. Not only was that a really difficult thing, I think, to do to uproot a family in 1922, mm-hmm. but to abandon a farm. Uh, I mean, this was the, their livelihood. It must have been a lot easier not carrying 300 LOL surprise dolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think their daughter had like a doll yeah. and a bucket or something, <laughs> and that was about it. So the poltergeist activity uh, started off fairly mundane, where they would notice animals in their barn would be moved around mm-hmm. to different pens. So, And the animals couldn't freely move in the barn. You know what I mean? They're like they're in a stall. Yeah, that's important to note because when I first read this story, like I was like, "Well, yeah, like animals move around. That's not spooky." And then I learned <laughs> that that's not how barns operate. It really stalled their movement. <laughs> Damn it! Got me with one. <laughs> and then they noticed that they had stored milk um, in like the large style milk jugs, those big ceramic ones, mm-hmm. uh, and then someone had put ash in them. Wow. Yeah, like holy crap! The activity began to increase a little bit more. Um, as the year progressed, uh, and it was very strange, spooky kind of things. It was some of the stuff that we normally associate with poltergeists, like knocking sounds. That's I think that's the classic poltergeist. That's what their name means. <laughs> it's a noisy ghost knocking on stuff. And horses in the stable would, you know, they'd go to bed, it'd be all cool, and then the next morning, their tails would be braided. I don't like that on many levels. Because, like, it's spooky enough having their tails braided, but, like, is the ghost nice or is it trying to like make its presence known in the creepiest way possible? I'm with you. That, I don't know why, but the braiding of the horse's tails is really spooky. It's like that scene in The Haunting where they braid Eleanor's hair. Yes. Ooh, I don't like that at all. Oh my God. I didn't even think of that. Oh, <laughs> that's super creepy. Uh, yeah, I'm with you on, on one. It's very spooky, but also, yeah, like what is the ghost trying to do? Why do that? Yeah, like, is it nice or is it threatening see that's how i took it as it's vaguely threatening showing not only what it can do but that it's there i think that that's very spooky i love the idea of a poltergeist gently braiding a horse's hair though <laughs> like i'm not good at braiding and braiding a horse i imagine is harder oh yeah so let me clarify this was not a horse this was horses oh yeah this was several horses in overnight and it happened multiple times I don't like that. I wonder what the horses are thinking. <laughs> are they just like, they feel it and they're like, oh crap, it's here. Oh God. Oh, that person ghost is back. <laughs> Do you think they kick? Because like I've braided like a horse's hair before, but you have to like pull it to the side. So it's Ooh. like. Does the ghost know to do that? I guess if he's not in, you know, if he's not being kicked, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I guess that's pretty weird. Uh, I guess he just let the horse kick and it doesn't matter. And the final and probably most famous uh paranormal activity from this house was fires these small fires were spontaneously combusting all over the property everything from wallpaper catching fire to wet towels catching fire what yeah uh hay out in the yard things in the barn mostly it was things around the house though uh and usually it was wallpaper all in all over the course of the year there were about 30 of these fires jeez yeah a lot of fires and they were all kind of put out uh you know quickly they weren't really a danger to the house or anything like that and still would rather not fires yes i would also rather there were no (laughs) fires like 
I think if I had to deal with anything, it would be no fire. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to spontaneous fires <laughs> that erupt all over the house. Yes. Even on things that are soaking wet. So the family, after a year, had had enough of this and they moved out. So all this is going on. And at one point, the fires actually became so problematic that the family set up like a neighborhood watch to try and catch the arsonist. Because they were convinced it had to be someone setting the fires. That I love this family. Like, they don't think it's a ghost at first, mm-hmm. or they don't think it's, you know, anything demonic, and they move out. Mm-hmm. It's most level-headed case I've ever seen. And I think, considering there were spontaneous fires erupting all over the property, moving out was probably the smartest thing to do. Totally. Because at one I mean, yeah, you're catching them and putting them out, but what happens when you don't? Yeah. And the house burns down. So, they don't ever catch an arsonist, and eventually they just move out. Mm-hmm. They, they have enough of this. And that's when this place is descended upon. By, for years by paranormal um, investigators. At mm-hmm. the time, they were called either spiritualists or parapsychologists. Those are very different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, a parapsychologist is someone that, at that time, uh, I think we would probably call them skeptics more than anything, ah. or, or uh, skeptic investigators or something like that. Or Bankman. Yeah. <laughs> well, he believed, I think. <laughs> Um, you bring up Venkman, and that's a very good point. A little bit later, there's a line from Ghostbusters that I think very accurately applies to one of the parapsychologists who investigated. We'll get to that, though. Oh, okay. The spiritualists are what we would more think of as ghost hunters. I think a good um, point of reference would mm-hmm. be, uh, like, James Randi would be a parapsychologist in the 1920s, and Zach Baggins would be a spiritualist. <laughs> <laughs> give you a little frame of reference. You know, we haven't actually um, made fun of Zach Baggins in a couple episodes, so... You know, we don't have to. All of his stuff is online streaming, (laughs) so he just does it himself. Oh, good. Yeah, I feel bad ragging on him sometimes because I... uh, There's a part of me that wonders... If he genuinely believes the things he says. He made a lockdown quarantine edition of an episode. We can rag on Zach Baggins all we want. Yeah, he is kind of trying to capitalize on the situation. Yeah. So there were a number of these investigators that came and and investigated the property, interviewed the families. Uh, One of them was this guy, Edward J. O'Brien. He was a lecturer at a local college. Mm -hmm. And he came by to do a small investigation and he spent about a day at the farm so the conclusion that he came to about what was setting the fires because that was the only thing that he was able to explain Mm -hmm. was that on two different sides of the farm quite a ways away like a mile or so away were two radio towers and the radio waves were causing the fires to spontaneously occur is that legit no that's not a thing at all okay Um, at the time radio waves were not as well understood as they are now i suppose Uh I would think a lecturer from a university would know a little bit about radio <laughs> waves. But no, that's that's not really how that worked. Oh. The newspaper got involved too. Like the local paper came in and talked about the investigation and what was going on. Because there were uh, lots of investigators, like I said, that went there. There were several uh, students from the local university who came and spent a couple of weeks on the farm just performing investigations of some kind they didn't have electronic devices like we have now so i'm not really sure what they did i dig that though like they're just you know feeling it out for real yeah they're trying to replicate what the family you know uh, experienced Mm -hmm. and they didn't really find much um they had done a uh, uh they had done a seance with a planchette and they had come up with the names of a couple of spirits that might live there but there was no evidence to corroborate that the people that they had, you know, communicated with ever lived there. Yeah. Um, several of them reported being slapped or There's also pushed. no uh, Steve Deshavi. 
Steam to show. <laughs> yeah, the, he does he does the, the legwork for real. They didn't have people doing that kind of stuff. So once the students had discovered the names of these spirits, the first thing they did was they went and looked in archives and tried to find if any of these people had ever lived there. Mm. And they weren't able to find that. So they were very intelligently chalked it up to, uh, you know, basically a false positive. Oh. Which I thought was great. Yeah. Um, they did report being slapped and being pushed around by unseen hands. But these are just reports from a bunch of students who were supposed to be investigating a haunted farm. Yeah. So you, you make of that what you will. Some people that were lightly involved in this story. Um, one of them is Harry Price. Uh, Harry Price is one of these people that he's going to appear again in some later <laughs> episodes. Harry Price was a very prominent paranormal investigator in his time. He was a parapsychologist. Was he like an Ed and Lorraine Warren kind of guy? He was a James Randi kind of guy. Ooh, yes. He spent most of his career as a parapsychologist debunking false mediums. Nice. And exposing them. And um, he actually never went to the farm. He didn't have to. He read some, basically like a, a colleague had brought him the story in the paper mm -hmm. he read the story and then concluded that everything that was happening on the farm was explainable by one of the family members was the one doing it oh uh, he concluded that it was the family that was doing it um likely the daughter and that there was nothing supernatural happening well damn so he did this sort of armchair mm -hmm. investigation never even went there that's the, the maximum amount of harry price's experience with this case but like i said we're gonna see him again he was involved in many many famous cases like the jeff the mongoose case you should do a whole episode on some of his investigations oh don't don't give away too much <laughs> that's i would love to do that um he's another one of these figures in the paranormal investigative world that i look up to because he had this wonderful way of championing truth nice yeah. but uh he worked on the jeff the mongoose case he actually went to the farm and interviewed the family. That's awesome. Um, he was involved in the Borley Rectory case, which was another case we'll talk about another time. This is really cool. <laughs> Big time guy. But he never actually went because the evidence was sufficient for him to decide it was probably a hoax. Yeah. At one point, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was invited to investigate. What? Yeah. So as you know from being married to me, <laughs> I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. Yeah, it's really a drain on our relationship, to be honest. Uh, I've read every Sherlock Holmes story at least twice. And I'm a big fan of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And it's a weird flux, but okay. <laughs> wow, yeah, I guess it is, isn't it? I read. <laughs> Ooh. Look at me with my basic education. <laughs> what people who aren't really familiar with him don't know is that when he stopped writing Sherlock Holmes books, he kind of made his money off of it. He gained you know, his fame and everything. He then spent like the remaining 40 years of his life as a spiritualist. Oh, wow. Yeah, investigating hauntings, ghosts, psychics. Uh, he had a keen interest in it, and he was convinced that there was life after death, and that communication with the dead was not only possible, but that it happened regularly, and we didn't always know it. Uh, he was also a big believer in what he called thought transference, or what we call telepathy, and he was convinced that he was able to do it with his maid. <laughs> Because he would be thinking about wanting something and she would come in to check on him. Or maybe that was his maid and she knew him. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, maybe it's her job. <laughs> but he was invited to investigate um, and he declined because he was busy, I guess. No, I mean, like, when my boss wants, like, you know, some reports and stuff done that I do every day, like, we're obviously telekinetic, you know? Yeah. 
Or you mean telepathic? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Telekinetic is moving stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, no, no. I also move stuff with my mind and move the reports uh, to his desk. So. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the main investigators that really cracked this case is this guy, Dr. Walker Prince. Uh, besides having a kick-ass name, <laughs> uh, he was a parapsychologist uh, that was working at the time. He was very prominent. He was also the founder of the Boston Society of Psychical Research. He's also a great singer. Oh, the, you mean the artist formerly known as Prince. Yeah, that's what he used to be formerly known as. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, he got me again. But he was very involved in many cases in the in, in North America, at least. Uh, he spent a lot of time exposing mediums and exposing trickery that was, you know, sort of masquerading as paranormal activity. And he learned a lot of this um, trickery and fake medium stuff from a friend of his, Eric Wise, who was an illusionist and a magician who went by the stage name Harry Houdini. Oh, damn. <laughs> Plot twist. Plot twist. You see what I did there? It was a big reveal. It was like a magic show. I just want you to know that Jerry just did um, like the miming for being a big reveal magic show kind of thing. Yeah, it was a flourish. Yeah. Yeah. I just want you guys to know that. That was more for me than anything. <laughs> and so he used a lot of this knowledge to debunk this kind of stuff because harry houdini did that as well mm -hmm. he spent a lot once he became he, he did the james randy thing but once he became very good at magic and illusions he then saw through you know charlatans who were masquerading as mediums and psychics and he thought that it was his moral obligation to expose them because they were cheating people mm -hmm. he never claimed to be anything other than a conjurer of illusions he was basically saying everything i'm doing is fake this is all an illusion, none of it's real. Mm -hmm. And I'm very honest about that. So Dr. Prince, he had a lot of that skill set at his disposal and became very good at debunking things. So this is sort of the ideal person you want working on this case. Yeah. His experience at the farm was pretty uneventful. He stayed there for, I think it was a few, just a few days. He didn't really stay very long, but he did stay overnight for several days. Yeah. And he also experienced getting pushed and slapped. He later reported that for several weeks after the investigation had concluded at his office in Boston, he was still experiencing knocking sounds. That's and spooky. Yeah, I, that's really spooky. Especially someone like him that exposes this kind of stuff, for him mm -hmm. to be like, yeah, I'm not saying they're related, but there's some spooky shit going <laughs> on in my office. Real quick, though. Um, why are there no demons in Africa? Oh, man. <laughs> Go ahead. Because someone already blessed the rains down there. <laughs> I'm, I'm such a shell of a man, like, at this point. <laughs> I'm so hollow and unfeeling. <laughs> oh, um, while we're on the subject, why do demons love apostrophes? I don't know. They show possession. <laughs> that's a good. I like that one. That's a that's a joke from Frasier almost. <laughs> so Prince's original assessment of this, because he did some pretty interesting things uh, that we'll get into, but his original assessment was that the activity was centered around the daughter. That because she was actually the one who discovered most of the fires. She was also the one that tended to discover the milk. Like, she was in the center of a lot of the activity. Yeah. This isn't an unusual thing with poltergeist cases, and he knew this because he'd actually investigated a few of them, that a lot of times poltergeist cases happened in places that had teenage children, often girls. It also seemed to happen in orphanages that had uh, mostly girls. Yeah. So it wasn't a weird thing for him to say and i mean also the evidence would suggest that she was involved in most of the activity so what he did was he brought family members back 
to the farm in an effort to get them to sort of trigger some activity. Yeah. And he brought them one at a time. He had the father come and stay for a day. He had the mother and then the daughter come stay for a day. And there's this idea um, in paranormal investigations that kind of went away for a while. And you hear them talk about it on uh, Ghost Brothers, where they try to trigger ghosts by reenacting something or... Mm -hmm. Doing like when some, they have that date. Yeah, they have the date with the ghost. They have the one where they bring the coffin in because there had been funerals at the house. Um, and that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to replicate what happened when the family was there to see if that would initiate more activity. Yeah. Uh, while I don't think this is necessarily a scientific approach, I do think that this is a very logical and practical approach that I really respect because you don't see this a lot with paranormal investigators. Yeah. Zach. Oh, you mean Zach Bag? I thought you were ragging on my brother, Zach. I was like, wow. <laughs> he doesn't even... I don't think he even believes in ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only Zach we rag on is Baggins. That's true. Filthy hobbits. <laughs> His assessment after bringing the family in and, and seeing some activity, noises and things like that, yeah. was that this was emanating from the daughter. That she was not only the source of the poltergeist activity, but the spirit was acting through her. Hmm. During an interview with the family, he found out that the father had once seen the daughter set a fire, but she was in a dissociated state, almost like she was in a trance. Oh. She had no memory of this. It was just something that happened. I don't know how we would ever go about explaining something like that now, that dissociated state. Yeah. Um, where she becomes sort of emotionally detached from what she's doing. It could be a bipolar disorder, because when you're manic, that kind of thing, some people don't remember. I could believe that. Uh, some people also thought that she might have had a sort of undiagnosed form of dissociative identity disorder, mm. which obviously would be undiagnosed because they didn't have a diagnosis for that back then. Yeah. But that was another theory that's been put forward, was that the spirit was acting through her. Yeah. Um, they said this would explain a lot of things. It would explain the braiding of the horse's hair. It would explain the ash being put in the milk. All things that didn't necessarily have to be supernatural. Mm -hmm. And that was actually a point that Dr. Prince makes, is that everything that's happened is only supernatural because you can't find a human explanation for it. But while that is the case, everything about it is perfectly explainable if you say a person did it. And it reminds me of Dr. Venkman in the first Ghostbusters when they find the stack of books and in the library, they're all kind of, you know, like, oh, wow, look at that. And he says, yes, surely no human being could stack books like that. <laughs> and that's kind of Dr. Prince's, you know, his point is like a human could do all of these things. But if there isn't a human present, then that means it must be supernatural. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that. Yeah. But why don't demons fear oxidation? Why? Because there's no rust for the wicked. <laughs> so you gotta look at poltergeist jokes because this is a poltergeist. I know we talked about demonic possession, but this is like the Buddhist monk jokes when we were <laughs> talking about a not Buddhist monk. If you're gonna devote this much effort to looking up jokes while we're doing a show, you need to look up the right jokes. This is a quality podcast. I want some quality <laughs> garbage humor in it, alright? I heard the poltergeist movie was selling very well is literally flying off the shelves. <laughs> the Poltergeist movie from the 70s or the 80s. Wow. Who doesn't do research now? I'm sorry. You just looked that joke up like two seconds ago. <laughs> I think part of me doesn't want to admit how long ago the 80s and the 90s were. So I'm like, no, that was the 70s. That was much further along. You have another one. I can see it in your face. <laughs> um, All of them are the flying off the shelves joke on this website. So... I derail the episode every time. Yeah, like, I'm totally derailed by that. I think also it doesn't help that it's, like, 10.30, and I'm hot, and I'm tired, and I'm like, 
my brain is trying to chug along to get the information in order, and then the joke comes along, and I have to absorb it. I can't help but try and absorb the whole joke. <laughs> and then after that, I'm like, oh, why did I waste time on that? <laughs> so, the conclusion mm-hmm. of this story. Basically, uh, Dr. Prince spent you know his time with the family, he mm-hmm. investigated the property, and he had this idea that the daughter was being possessed, or was in some way acting as a medium. That's so dumb. Because, like, she could just be doing that. Like, why does it have to be possession? It's true. You make a great point. Because he interviewed the daughter. Mm -hmm. And after interviewing the daughter, you know, he did interviews with the whole family. But after interviewing the daughter, not only did he become more convinced than ever that she was not possessed and Mm -hmm. was not acting as a medium for a spirit. He was also convinced that she had been doing everything. And the whole hoax was her creation. Mm -hmm. The biggest piece of evidence he has about this is the fires that are spread around the house. None of the fires, even when they were wallpaper, are ever spread above five feet, which is exactly how tall she was at the time. Hmm. So uh, he thought that perhaps she could have reached her hand up very high and set a fire. But if she did that, she would risk setting the ceiling on fire. So she only set them at sort of her eye level so she could put them out very quickly. And that was the sort of clincher for him was that she was the source of all of this. Yeah. And that became probably one of the the darkest parts of the legacy of this case is because once he sort of went public with his findings, that story followed her for the rest of her life um, to the point where she was actually... You could say it came back to haunt her. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, you get that one. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, she spent the rest of her life being associated with this haunting. Mm -hmm. Either people believed that she would be controlled by spirits or they believe that she was a hoaxer. Either way, not a great reputation to have. Yeah. Uh, and it got to the point where um, some people started calling her Mary Ellen Spook. And that name followed her for a very, very long time. And there are some reports that she actually spent a couple of years in an asylum as a result of the stress from dealing with that reputation. Oh my god. Yeah, really harsh stuff. There were some stories about people coming and taking things from the house because it had been abandoned. Bricks you know, boards, things like that, shingles. And the story was that anyone who had taken anything from the house, when they got it home, their house would burn down. And I can't find any information to corroborate this story or to corroborate whether or not the fires were true, like that other people experienced. But people took, like I said, they took bricks, they took boards, they took doors, window panes. The house is no longer there. It wasn't that it got taken apart piece by piece and everything (laughs) got taken. It was just, it got taken apart to such a state that it was eventually just demolished. Oh, that's so weird. Yeah, I don't understand the point of taking pieces of a possibly haunted house. I don't understand. Yeah. What was a poltergeist arrested for at the campground? What? Possession with intent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I bet someone's laughing right now, okay? I hope someone's laughing right now. Someone has to. <laughs> But eventually, it became known that the house was not haunted. Also, all the activity um, that the family had experienced stopped after they left. There was still some activity, but it was not what they had experienced. Yeah. Which I think is more um, the people that went to investigate, I think, were primed going Mm -hmm. to a location supposed to have a poltergeist. And they were seeing what they wanted to see, hearing what they wanted to hear. Yeah. Um, like the ghost was telling them that they're beautiful and that they're successful. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's great. Oh, that sounds awesome. <laughs> so this is one of those ones where I don't think there really needs to be... Uh, we don't really need to have an opinion. It I was, would like one, though. Go for it. 
Yeah, I agree with the guy. Like, it's just, like, she's just doing stuff. Yeah. And this really follows with what we've said in the past. Where it's always kids. It's always a kid. Especially if there's a teenager in the house. If there's a teenager, they're hoaxing. That's what they do. They're yeah. hoaxing. So I really like this story because, uh, like I said at the beginning, there's really unusual paranormal activity. And it's just a really weird case. Not a whole lot actually happened, but it was very heavily investigated. Like, so many investigators, world-famous investigators, got involved in this case. And at a glancing, you know, in a, in a sort of slanted way, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was <laughs> made aware of the case. Houdini was aware of the case. Like, is a really just strange piece of paranormal investigative history. It's a pretty cool story. But I do like the idea that the Dr. Prince was trying to sort of figure out if she was possessed or if she was, you know, if she was intentionally acting as a conduit for the spirits. Mm -hmm. That was one of the approaches he took, which I thought was kind of strange because he was widely known to be a skeptic. But he was open to the idea that we didn't understand everything mm -hmm. and that it could be something outside of, you know, science. I like that he took a very practical approach. Where he, you know, was like, well, let me bring one person back at a time and mm -hmm. see what happens. That's a really smart idea. Yeah. And, and the fact that he spent days there. Wait, so they brought the dad back alone. They brought the mom back alone and then the daughter. Did the parents not know or think that she was behind it? Well, that's something that came out later. Uh, the parents didn't think she was behind it. But then in interviews, the father revealed that he had seen the daughter set a fire once, but that he didn't believe that she was setting all of the fires. Yeah. And that he didn't believe that she was consciously setting fires. He believed that it was part of a, you know, a spiritual intervention kind of thing. Which, I mean, fair play to the dad for not believing his kid is setting the house on fire. <laughs> his darling girl, he wouldn't want to believe that about her. So I actually wanted to take a few minutes to go over some reviews that we got. So uh, a weird thing happened where, you know, we were looking for reviews on iTunes because I don't really go through Apple Podcasts. We have iTunes on the computer. I was only seeing these three reviews, the three we've always had. The three great and ones yeah, that we appreciate. They're awesome. Yeah, no, I love seeing them every time I open it up. <laughs> But we weren't getting any more. And I was like, man, what are we doing wrong? Well, it turns out that... Everything. Our whole podcast <laughs> is wrong. We hit record. That's the <laughs> main mistake. Uh, but it turns out we actually had a bunch of reviews. It's just for some reason iTunes was being a jerk and not showing them all to us. Perfect. So I, um, I started using this really cool service called Chartable, which allows us to sort of pool all the analytics from all of the platforms that our podcast is available on. Mm -hmm. And... We can see every review that's ever been done about the show, even if iTunes is being a jerk. So I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to read the ones that we didn't get to see before. Very excited. I'm very excited. One of them is from Nicole, who uh, wants us to do something about Canada. This one says, great podcast. They always try to keep you laughing while looking at and breaking down the paranormal. That's what I appreciate about you, Nicole. Oh, is that what you appreciate about her? That's what I appreciate about her. And that's, I, I we try to keep people laughing. Um, I don't. I generally <laughs> just want to get to the facts and then you do the laughing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I do the things that are supposed to make you laugh, but probably make you just sad. Yeah, I'm often very sad at the end of every episode. <laughs> the next one is from the lovely Matt Toppin, who many of you might know. Because we talk about them all the time. All they're the so time. cool. You might know him as 50% of the show Full Movie Podcast. It says factual and entertaining. These lovely people are without a doubt brilliant. 
The presenters have an amazing dynamic, and each episode is well presented and read. Can't wait to hear more spooky yet interesting stories. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Matt. And I like the part where he said that we have an interesting dynamic, which is that I am not funny. <laughs> and, and I he- am also not funny. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's true. No. Uh, uh, also, he said that they are, the episodes are well read. Um, Matt, if only you could be here for the editing. <laughs> You would see how poorly read the episodes truly are. Yeah, because we have to edit. Yeah, we're not all fancy. (laughs) No, we love you guys. This one comes from Card with a K, Card F7, who is from Great Britain. I don't know why I read it that way. Wow, that's the worst. (laughs) I'm delirious. That's (laughs) what it is. It says, awesome podcast. I absolutely love this podcast. If you like the paranormal, but also a bit of humor, this podcast is for you. The hosts are so nice and very fun, and the stories are very interesting. Smiley face. Aw, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we do absolutely love that people are enjoying the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm blown away all the time <laughs> that people even listen to the show. So thank you so much for those reviews. They really do mean a lot to us. There's actually something that they don't know. One time, <laughs> I bought a boomerang from a poltergeist. I'm sure it'll come back to haunt me. <laughs> <laughs> See, we went over how nice the reviews are, which is a shame because it's the last episode. And I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We've retired. We are, uh, you're retired. I'm done. <laughs> uh, that was terrible. Oh, but I mean, we were really amazed. Was it a grave mistake? What? <laughs> Did you say grave mistake? Yeah. Every joke you tell is a grave mistake. I'm just <laughs> informing you right now. <laughs> it's not true. I know. But yes, we really, really do appreciate the positive feedback. And um, it makes me feel good in my happy parts. That sounds dirty. Yeah, I'm, no, in, my, I'm in my heart, but... <laughs> yeah, it, it really does. It makes us very happy because uh, that's kind of why... I mean, we're going to do the podcast regardless. Whether you like it or because not. Because we just, we love doing this. We love getting together and talking about the paranormal. We've been doing it for years and we were like, man, we should record this. <laughs> and then after we recorded it, we're like, oh, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> We're too far in now. Seeing people enjoy it, uh, it makes a lot of this worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, And every week, you know, when we're like, hey, we need to record, like, it's for you guys. It's, we're like, hey, we need to supply some new content for these people because they give us all of their love and affection. We need to give them something in return. But also, I just need to tell jokes. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, And we just recently hit like a massive milestone. Where we passed 1,300 downloads. Which means I am going to get my Jersey Devil tattoo. Yeah. Once I am able. So do you have any recommendations this week for our listener people? I do. I've been getting really into um, Bailey Sarian. S-A-I-R-I-N, I I think it is. She does um, true crime mysteries and stuff like that while also doing her makeup. It's a a YouTube channel. Also, it's on Facebook, too. Mm. Like in shorter clips. But like, it's hypnotizing yeah we've watched it a little bit and she's a phenomenal storyteller yeah and she's applying her makeup very masterfully yeah while also very masterfully telling like true crime stories yeah she's talking about like people getting cut up in the pieces while doing a perfect wing liner i curse 30 minutes a day at my winged eyeliner and it's still not good like, you didn't even have it today. <laughs> yeah, the worst part of my commute to work is looking in the mirror and seeing how jacked my eyes are after they look perfect at home. <laughs> like, it's just me just violently cursing in my car, like, Mother, why am I makeup like this? But then she does it perfect while talking about crimes. And it's awesome. 
I only have two recommendations. One is for a really cool true crime podcast that I found called The True Crime Witch. Uh, she's based out of the UK. Um, really excellent storyteller, uh, and I th- which I think is like essential for true crime, especially. Yeah. Because you are telling a story. She does a really excellent job. It's very engaging, very detailed stories. Uh, it feels like you're you're listening to someone read a thriller. I really uh, enjoy her show. Like Michael Jackson or? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if James Patterson wrote Michael Jackson songs. That's dope. And the other one is called uh, Ho Yeah, and it is a King of the Hill podcast. That's it such is, a niche market. It is so niche. <laughs> um, it's basically these two friends that one of them watches King of the Hill constantly, and the other one, I think, watches it almost <laughs> as much. And they just talk about episodes of King of the Hill, uh, and it's every episode of the podcast focuses on a single episode of the show. This is really like almost tailor-made for me because I love King of the Hill and I love listening to them talk about it. They're really funny. Yeah, my next spin-off podcast is gonna be me doing that, but with the Simpsons. Oh yeah. You um you're in good company. There's a, a lot of podcasters in our little community here that are very into the Simpsons. Oh. Yeah. Like uh Sinead over at the Poisoner's Cabinet is yes. very into the Simpsons. I have a giant Malibu Stacy tattoo on my leg. So if you also have a Simpson tattoo, let's get together, do a podcast. You're, you're going to have to post that on the social medias. Yes. It's going to have no context. We're just going to post it to Harley Paranormal. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally like, cool Find with out that. at the very last two minutes of the episode what this is about. Like, oh, hey, that person's gone. Why are we seeing her leg? <laughs> oh, that's why. So if you like this episode, um, you can follow us on Twitter at Harley Paranormie with a Y. Uh, you can get us on Instagram at Hardly Paranormal. That is where I am probably the most active. Um, you can also like and join our Facebook group, Hardly Paranormal. That's where Lacey is probably the most active. And <laughs> There's you- more puns on there too. Yeah, she's she's a lot jokier on there. I'm just I'm not like a social media type. Like I, I'm trying, but it's because I'm a thousand years old. <laughs> <laughs> we actually had to do a ritual to get him on the podcast tonight. Yeah, I'm a, a golem constructed out of old stuffy books. <laughs> You're just like a dragger. Like you see someone walk by and that's when you wake up. But otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wake up to tell him like, hey, did you know? <laughs> I tell him something boring. You can subscribe to us on uh, CastBox. CastBox is a really great platform because once you subscribe to the show, you can uh, automatically get our episodes downloaded as soon as they come out, which I think is really rad. Uh, you can also leave comments on our episodes or on our channel on CastBox, which is the same thing as the reviews, and we really would appreciate it and really would enjoy it. You can also follow us on Spotify. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Deezer, basically anywhere where there are uh, podcasts. We are there. <laughs> Please leave us a review and a rating. We would greatly appreciate it because it helps more awesome people like you find this show (laughs) if this is something you would like to afflict someone with (laughs) i would recommend it it really helps us out a lot Um, and it gives Lacey, you know something to live for (laughs) gives my puns somewhere to go somewhere to go (laughs) they live on longer if other people hear them i did on stand up but they're so bad so i'm just gonna leave them here (laughs) and we are soon gonna be on youtube now i know that sounds exciting but it's not. We're not going to be uh, doing a YouTube channel. We're we, not nearly as likable as Emma and Dan, so we're just going to... Or really anyone with a face. <laughs> which is really... I'm best if you don't see my face, I think. <laughs> yeah, my best side is um, pitch black, so... <laughs> <laughs> 
basically what we're going to be doing is, uh, as I've set it up so that now when we post an episode to all the podcast platforms, a video will be posted to our YouTube channel that is the podcast episode with our logo as like the video. Um, it's just another platform for people to, you know, get a hold of us. It's not anything fancy, yeah. but it's one more place you can listen. Unless you really want to see our faces and see how red I get when I laugh at my own jokes. If that's something how you're into, let us know. You get. <laughs> it matches my hair. My wife, the tomato. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you have any questions or comments, or if you want to send us suggestions for future episodes, you can not only send us an email at uh, hardlyparanormal at gmail.com, but you can... Get us on all the social medias. We love chatting with people. Uh, we're much more approachable than I think people might assume. <laughs> I'm much more approachable. I am too. I don't. I'm more approachable in text form than I am in person. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Because people come up to me and I look like a librarian that knows you have an overdue book. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought about it that way, but that's so legit. <laughs> I'm not as easily to easy to approach as you are. <laughs> so I've been Jerry. I've been Lacey. And remember, it's probably just the wind. The Simpsons.